Hi, I'm Emily Salaby, founder of Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company, and your host on the Hazard Girls podcast here on Jacket Media. I'm so honored to host this show where I get to chat with Hazard Girls about their careers. Hazard Girls is an online community for women working in traditionally male-dominated fields. On our show, you'll get to hear from these amazing women about the path that led them to their current careers, challenges they've overcome, advice for other women in entering these industries, and more. Nadine Carson is a self-professed stormwater nerd. She started working with stormwater compliance in the Air Force and quickly realized how important stormwater pollution prevention was to the ecosystem. She has worked in the Air Force, focusing on construction and other civil engineering operations duties. She has also worked as a geotechnical engineer and has worked in stormwater management again at a private engineering firm. Most recently, Nadine is the founder of OEA Construction, a radical change maker in the stormwater field whose mission is to enhance water quality and improve the environment through construction activities. Nadine is a graduate of Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University and the University of Maryland, an Air Force veteran, and is a registered professional engineer in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Welcome to the Hazard Girls podcast, Nadine. Hi, Emily. It's so good to be here. Well, yeah, we've been talking about how we have talked back and forth on LinkedIn and email for a while now. So it's so exciting to finally be able to connect and have this conversation so other people can hear about it. Um, I love how you call yourself a stormwater nerd, which I didn't even realize that was a thing. (laughs) How did you develop (laughs) such a passion for stormwater management? So it's always been that I love construction and I love the environment. And most often you find those things in conflict with one another. So every contractor out there um, hates the tree huggers and all the environmentalists are angry at the contractors that are rude in the environment. And I just don't see it in those terms. Mm -hmm. I really see it being something that you can work together, that you can um, benefit the environment by responsible development And so kind of when I found stormwater, I found something that finally married both of those two things together. And it was something that I could make an immediate impact on. So you're you're saying that construction is generally head to head against environmentalism? Let me, let me not make such general. <laughs> um, so yes, there are plenty of people out there that are LEED certified and do all these other amazing environmental things. But a lot of times, especially in the, in the horizontal world, mm-hmm. there's not a whole lot of time to be very environmentally friendly. With vertical construction, you have reusable materials and waste elimination and things like that. So in the horizontal world of, of earth moving, there's not a lot of time to be very environmentally friendly. And most of the time you're looking to develop a site, uh, you leave it up to the engineers to do all the stuff that's required by regulations. And quite frankly, most grading guys, you know, they got a job to do, they want to get in there and get done. And they don't always love all of these regulations that's being put on them. Oh, can we back up for a minute? I want you to explain to our listeners, what do you mean by horizontal and vertical construction? So horizontal is a really nice way of saying dirt moving or earth mm-hmm. earth moving. Um, so anything that's grading, that's doing all the horizontal work, uh, road construction, utilities, things like that. Vertical construction is considered 
you know, it's what you always see the really pretty pictures of. If you Google <laughs> construction, you get pictures of buildings. And I'm like, there's other parts of construction. So that's usually the, uh, how you're building, if you're building vertically or you're building uh, horizontally. Yeah, that's so interesting. I'm learning about all of these different niche areas in construction. I was talking to Jennifer Todd, who does like the waste, the, the hazmat, the, not necessarily hazmat, but like the, the hazardous waste removal and the- She the is amazing. Yeah. Oh, yes. Totally. Maybe I probably yes. misstated what she does. So <laughs> forgive me, Jennifer. But yeah, it's just, there's, so, there's all these, there are all these niches. And I think, and I feel like women are making such great strides in them, you know, finding yes. them, finding room for their own businesses, but we'll get more into that in a few minutes. But I, let's, let's back up and talk about your journey. Did you join the Air Force right away out of school? So I went through college on an ROTC scholarship and I had full intentions of going active duty as soon as I graduated. So I graduated that morning and commissioned the Air Force that evening. And what was that like for you? Um, it was fantastic. It was easy. Like all the other graduates were like, oh God, I got to find a job. I was like, got one done check. You know, I didn't have to interview. I didn't have to do anything else like that. Um, and I went to school for civil engineering mm -hmm. and that's what I did in the air force. So it was something that I knew that I could apply what I had learned. Um, I fell in love with engineering when I was at school. Um, I was loving that civil engineering is construction. Um, yeah. It just, it all clicked for me. So I was super excited when I went in the Air Force and I had the opportunity to do this type of work. And so did your family, was your family in the military? Was this something you no. were familiar with? <laughs> um, no, I am a hard-headed, very driven person. Even when I was a child, my mom always laughed at, she's like, I don't even know how you heard about a school called Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University, but when you did, you were going there. <laughs> Doesn't matter what anybody else said. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's kind of it. Um, my older sister was in the Air Force. She was a nurse. And that's really the only military affiliation that we ever had. It was something that, you know, when I was, when I was a kid, I thought I wanted to fly planes and be, you know, all first woman to do this or that. But uh, when I found civil engineering, I realized I didn't really want to be a pilot. I really liked civil engineering and construction. So you knew right away that that you liked it. And so what, what, how did you find it work, working in the Air Force? It's a male populated area, obviously. So how was that? It was phenomenal. Like I had the best job opportunities, uh, especially for somebody right out of college. You know, mm -hmm. you're used to being put in very entry level jobs, whereas in the military, as an officer, you're being put into leadership immediately. So mm -hmm. you are working with different trades. You're learning what they do and how you can support them. Um, I did a lot of work that was based on funding. Uh, so the engineering department wasn't actually developing things. It was appropriating funding to allow projects to go forward. Mm -hmm. So I got to learn a lot about that. Um, I got to learn a lot about how contracts work and <laughs> what it takes to run a base and a lot of different things. So it gave me a lot of different experiences. Mm -hmm. Whereas I feel like a lot of people, as soon as they get out of college, they're you know, they've got one company and, you know, they usually put them in one little hole somewhere to, to, you know, get them used to stuff. I got a huge range 
yeah. of experiences. Yeah, I was gonna say it's I I it seems like a great path for people to take um, right out of school, and that way they can just they get put right in. So I, what you were saying, like when you come out of school, sometimes you're struggling to find a job. You're getting you're ending up at a job that it's not friendly to to you or to women in general, um, or whatever minority group you might belong to. But the military, it sounds like you didn't have that experience. Well, you know, there's there's so many good points about being in the military if you want to look at the construction world. You get yeah. so many certifications, you get so much experience that mm-hmm. will directly translate into the civilian side of things. I mean, there's a lot of people that go into the military for school purposes and get funding yeah. for school. So there's, I think that if you are in the construction industry and you're looking for something to differentiate yourself, going into the service, I know it's not for everybody and I completely mm-hmm. understand that, but it gives you so much experience, so many certifications, and you get to work on projects that will blow people's minds for the rest of your life. So and what about great. leadership? Hey, well, and let me also say about the military, the good thing about, you know, going in, yes, it's male, um, it's not male dominated. I've learned this from you. It's primarily <laughs> male populated. Yes, um, and yes, that was the, that was the case. Typically mm-hmm. there were only less than five females in our operations group. Mm-hmm. Um, but the military had such strict sexual harassment guidelines that it was, it's much better in the civilian world, um, there's a lot of things that are absolutely not tolerated. Mm -hmm. Oh, interesting. So, okay. So you were in the military, then you got back, you went, you left the military, went into the private realm, the private sector, and you were working as a geospatial engineer. Is that what we said? Geotechnical. Geotechnical engineer. Got it. Yeah. And I'm going to make every geotechnical engineer cringe when I say this, because I call them engineers yeah they all hate that it's great yeah it's for us lay people we we understand what that means (laughs) I love that um yeah so uh I actually was before I got out of the military uh I was a combat veteran so I got Mm -hmm. to go over and do some really amazing um construction overseas in Iraq which was amazing um and life-changing for sure to see the different ways that things are built um and then when I got out, I moved to Roanoke, Virginia. I didn't know a soul here and started a job and ended up working in geotechnical engineering, which is the study of soils and how they're impacted developing foundations based on your soils um, and the loadings. And mm-hmm. I did that for about eight years. Um, and that's what I got my license in as a professional engineer. And you're from Maryland, right? Originally? Nope. I'm, <laughs> I'm from Bristol, Virginia, right on the Tennessee state line. Okay. Where did I get Maryland? Is that where you attended school? That's where I went to graduate school. <laughs> okay, graduate school. Okay. Got it. So I'm from Philadelphia. So that's like, like, that's basically the same state. It's like right there. We have all these tiny states. In our area. So okay. yes, because of all the places I've, uh, all the different things I've done, People are like, oh, I have a so-and-so that's in Oklahoma. Oh, I was there. Where were, you know, well, what about Texas? Oh, I kind of lived there for a while. You know, Uh it's ridiculous. The amount of things where they're like, where are you from? I'm like, which point in my life are we talking? (laughs) All right. So then you got, you decided to found Oya. Is it, am I saying right? It's Oya Construction. It's Oya. Oya. Okay. All right. Oya Construction. So you decided to found Oya Construction and can you talk about 
why you decided to do that? So there was a lot of different reasons. Um, one, I feel like what I was doing my last job was we were doing inspections of stormwater um, on construction sites. So we would go onto the sites and we would say, this is wrong. And most of the time the contractor's like, okay, we'll fix it. But either they didn't have enough labor or mm -hmm. they didn't have enough resources or they just didn't know the right way to fix the things. So they did it the way they've always done it and it may not work right because it's not put in correctly. Um, or the grading contractor would be gone from site. And so he didn't want to come back to fix uh, a small area of silt fence. And I saw that the, I saw the frustration that was developing from everybody. Um, the great, the general contractor couldn't get the things fixed. And I kept telling him every week that it was wrong. Um, the grading contractors didn't want to come back and fix a tiny little thing on site. Um, I just saw the need developing and I thought, is there a way that we can make a contractor company that will identify issues, go in and fix them and keep them working correctly through the whole project. Mm -hmm. And that's really what everything started from was, you know, how can we be an asset to these groups that are developing and protect our stormwater systems? But the more I thought about it and the more the more I push things around in my head, what really started to become clear to me was, yes, it's great to do wonderful things for the stormwater community, but having my own construction company would give me so many more opportunities that I would have never had in the private industry. Mm -hmm. It gives me opportunities to make changes and to do things that quite frankly, nobody really talks about or wants to deal with. Um, you know, the, the construction industry is primarily populated by white middle-aged men. Why? Why are we not having more underrepresented groups brought mm -hmm. into the construction industry and see this as a job? So I saw it as an opportunity to start reaching out to the queer population to the gender non-conforming, you know, typically these people will stay away from construction. And I hate that, you know, we're having a labor shortage anyways. Why are we discrediting a whole group of people? We need to embrace them and give them opportunities. So yeah, I saw it as an opportunity where I could directly make the choices. I could make the changes. I didn't have to get permission. I didn't have to have somebody agree with me. Yeah. I can just do it. That, you know, you're reminding me of what you posted, something you posted on LinkedIn recently, where you, it was a quote, I, I, this was you, right? It was a quote about yes. entrepreneurs and like how, I don't remember the exact quote, but it was about how entrepreneurs can't really work for other people. Yeah, like unemployable. Yes, unemployable. <laughs> that was yes, and that was uh, Mike Cesario with Liquid Death. And he said, you know, we are, um, very roughly translated, um, we are unemployable because yeah. we ask too many questions. Mm -hmm. We don't do things the way that everybody else wants them done. And we, you know, make our own path. So I was like, yep, that is actually why I did this. <laughs> I wanted, I want you to tell us a little bit more about what exactly you do. So, and then I want to ask you a little bit about, you know, women as entrepreneurs in these, in these construction fields. Go ahead. So Oya is the African goddess of severe rain events. So that is how I got the name for my company um, because I wanted it to be something that it's very proud female owned um, and that directly 
relates to what we do. We, we work in severe rain events. So mm. that's how I got the name. Um, what we do is stormwater work. And that can be anything from during construction, going on to sites and doing, going, doing the inspections, doing the installation of the erosion sediment control measures, like the silt fence, the construction entrance, entrances, things like that. Uh, maintaining them during construction and then helping the site finalize its permit and get everything turned over to its permanent structure. Um, and then we also work on permanent stormwater structure. So fire retention ponds or stormwater ponds or any of these other things you see that are permanent structures. We do inspections and maintenance on those to keep them working correctly, which most people don't even realize you need to do things to them to keep them going. Something you were talking about a little while ago in the conversation was the idea of vertical and horizontal construction. And you mentioned your focus on reducing waste during the grading phase, which most people don't think about because they think about reducing waste during the vertical construction phase. Is this like a very, is environmental sustainability in this grading area of construction, is this, a, is this like your niche? Is, it, is this a very niche area? I hope so. <laughs> is this, I mean, are there other people doing this? No, not really. Most of the time, mm -hmm. um, the way things, and, and I'm primarily familiar with Virginia. That's where I do the majority of my work right now. But um, a lot of things that people put in, um, they don't really think about the waste that's associated with it. So if you think of construction entrances or construction exits, what they do on sites typically is they put some geofabric down and put stone on top of it for the trucks to roll over and it get the mud out of the tires. What happens over the course of a project is all that mud gets trapped in there and then you have to put more stone and you put more stone and you put more stone. So mm. at the end of that project, then you have to go and scrape up all of this and basically it's taken and it's thrown into a dumpster somewhere. The, the, the stone? Yes, most wow. of the time. Wow. Because you can't leave it there. You've got to pave yeah. over that area. So they'll just take it and scrape it and just kind of dump it somewhere. Um, what I use instead is a reusable uh, construction entrance mat. So if you picture like a giant Lego mat almost, um, it's got raised pyramids on it and that will help knock the mud off the tires, but it can be swept, swept off. Mm -hmm. and reused and wow. then at the end of the project I pull them up and I go and use them again and they are reusable for over 10 years. And is this something that you developed or you no. it was on the market? <laughs> this was on the market. So this is a this is a company um, that I've worked with for a while and I keep telling them they should sponsor me for the amount of times I talk <laughs> yes. about them. Um, <laughs> uh, they're called FODs mats and um, this is exactly what they were created for, was to knock, um, to, to create construction entrances and reduce waste. So there's a lot of things, and it's not that I'm inventing all of these new things, it's just that I know about them mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. this is my industry. So I get to look at all these really cool, innovative ideas and go, hey, how can I use this on my site to reduce waste? and to come up with more environmentally friendly ways of doing things. Also reducing the amount of labor that has to be associated with it. These mats can be put down with two workers and some utility hooks. Um, you can move them around and put them in place. They're a bit heavy, but I put them in when I was had bronchitis, so it can be done. Oh my um, God. I don't know if we should have done that, Nadine. <laughs> 
yeah, I'll tell you the whole story later. So, <laughs> um, but you know, it's, it's easier to do. It's easier to maintain at that point. You don't have to have the equipment. You don't have to have the stone coming in all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, inlet protections, instead of just using the silt fence that is kind of crappy, um, that gets knocked over all the time. What about using something that's more rigid that can be reused and then have a filter that you replace on it? Mm-hmm. Um, there are some things that, so I'm an engineer. I am not creative. I'm working on it, <laughs> but as a rule, I am not. And so this is something that I've really enjoyed about having my own businesses. I get to kind of daydream and like, okay, here's the problem. How can you come up with different solutions for it? And so there's a couple of things that I am working on um, individually to come up with ways to stabilize sites um, that's smart instead of just basically throwing money away to put straw out on a site for it to blow away. Mm-hmm. So, um, so there's some things I get to come up with on my own, but a lot of it is just using things that are out there that are amazing already. Yeah. Well, we, we talked a little bit about women in these niche, er- niche areas of construction and entrepreneurship, many of our listeners do own their own companies. And I don't think that's a coincidence. I think, you know, women often do because we're natural leaders and we like to create our own environment that we're working in, maybe because we haven't had the best experiences or maybe that's just our nature. But have you been able to take advantage of any certifications or um, women-owned business um, status? Well, I have been um, already designated as a SWAM business, a um, small women and men. It's called SWAM in Virginia. Okay. So that's small women and minority. Um, So I've already been established as a a woman-owned company. I've also um, got my federal uh, disabled veteran-owned company. I've gone after several certifications because it's going to give me an opportunity to get into some places mm-hmm. and do work um, that I very full will take advantage of. Yeah. What advice do you have for other women who might want to start looking at some of these certifications? Do it. It's paperwork, but yeah, it's not the worst thing in the world. Um, and ask questions. People are really willing to help you. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of these things, they, they require a lot of paperwork. So start a file, put everything over in there to put your tax returns, your articles of incorporation, all of the other documents that you have for your business, keep them in one file. And if you hit something you've got questions about, ask them. Most of these places have people that specialize in this and they actually want people to be a part of it. So they want to help out. Um, I think a lot of times we feel like the cross is ours to bear and Mm -hmm. we can soldier on and we can do it all. It's not about how hard you work. It's how effective you work. Yeah. I think like a lot of times people think, oh, I have to hire, I have to pay $5,000 and hire a consultant to do this. Mm-hmm. But I, it's something that's made to be user-friendly. And there's so many people working at, for the government agencies that are there to help, right? So I would say, you know, pick one a week that you're going to work on for a couple of days here and a couple of days there for a couple mm-hmm. hours um, and then put it in and let it start processing and then 
pick another one and start mm -hmm. working on it. Don't try to hit everything at one time. It's overwhelming. Mm -hmm. So figure out which kind of government entity that you want to work with. They may not require all of these different certifications. So by identifying who your customer really you want them to be mm -hmm. will help you determine what will help you the most. I think you and I are probably on the same page as well as our listeners in recognizing the importance of including underrepresented demographics in the construction industry. And you mentioned to me and you know before the show and in our in our notes about stay-at-home moms being one of these yes. areas. And also, you know, part part-time moms, like people who just want to work part-time, queer, gender non-conforming, and of course minorities. And a lot of people might have had the experience that the industry was not welcoming to them. So we talked about that a moment ago, how they, some people go off and start their own business for that reason. But I'm also thinking of just schedule flexibility with parenthood as one of the barriers. So how do you think the construction field can be welcoming to women and, and others? Well, and it's really interesting because there's so many different aspects of construction. We all know that some can be more flexible with time than others. Mm -hmm. If you are a Mason and you've go be on site to do brickwork from eight to five, there's not a whole lot of flexibility with that. If you're doing stormwater inspections and you can do four and you can start at five o'clock in the morning and do it until noon when you've got to go pick your kids up. That's mm -hmm. fine. I don't care. So I see that mm -hmm. as, you know, it depends on what kind of job you're doing, what kind of flexibility you can have. But I see that there's so many stay-at-home moms or part-time moms that it's like one or the other. And I don't think it has to be like that. I know so many amazing mothers mm -hmm. who say, hey, I need to run out. My kid's sick. I need to pick them up from daycare. Okay, mm -hmm. see ya. Go get them. Um, yeah. Why... Our employers trying to make it difficult, you know, or they say, my kid's sick. Can I bring them in and hang out in the office with me? Yep. I bring my dog. Not the same, <laughs> I know, but <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, there needs to be more flexibility built in. Um, and I think that if we treat people with respect, they will in turn, treat you with respect too. So if you give them the flexibility to be able to go to doctor's appointments, to say, hey, Julie, um, I need to go and do this. Can you take my site today? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. If you give them a, the opportunity to step up, they will, and they will give so much back to you. Yeah. And a lot of this stuff, a lot of the paperwork can be done at home. Right. There's no need to sit in an office to do it. If you want to sit at home and, you know, while your kid's napping and fill out paperwork, it works still. So we, we know that women-owned businesses are probably more aware of this. I'm sure, you know, your business as an example of that and will be more flexible and allow, you know, allow these maybe non-traditional ways of working. But how do we convince the regular, you know, the traditional construction firms to be more flexible. I think that one's going to be hard and it depends on the person. Um, if they start losing their good talent mm -hmm. to firms that give them more flexibility, that give them more yeah. opportunities, then they are going to realize, oops, we're doing something wrong. Um, sometimes just having the conversations with people, but 
a lot of it's people have to advocate for themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, don't just take it and say, okay, that's just the way that it is. Tell your boss what you need and why you need it. And if they come down with an absolute no, why? Once again, unemployable, ask all the hard questions. (laughs) But, (laughs) But we should be speaking up for ourselves and we should be saying, this is what we need. And here's why, here's how I can work around it with you. Here's how it can work for everybody. And if they still say no, that's not somewhere that's going to support you and your growth. I really like what you said about women, you know, when people, when good talent leaves, it's, it's sending a message to the employer. So are you, so we should, are you, so I'm taking a step further and, and I'm thinking that you're saying we should make sure that our employer, the employers are aware of why we're leaving, like make it clear, like this is, this is the reason it's not just maybe a, personality clash or none of pay or whatever it is. It's the reason is actually this, this lack of flexibility and this other firm is offering that and you're losing your talent. Absolutely. You should always be transparent and clear Mm -hmm. about whether, why you are leaving because it could be just as simple as, Hey, this other work schedule works better with my family, or it could be, I have opportunities to grow. And by that, you're telling your former employer where they can improve their company. So if they are seeing that their employees are leaving because they have nowhere to grow, then you Mm -hmm. don't have a progression plan in place for your employers, employees. So Mm -hmm. maybe that's something that they need to work on. I don't think you, I mean, I'm not saying be rude and crude about it, but -hmm. I think you should always be honest with your employers as to why you were leaving um, in the most professional way possible. Yeah. But elsewhere, how's anything going to change? Because as much as, as we as women like to think that everybody's a mind reader, they're not. <laughs> they're not. Well, it's okay. So this is how this is how our employee this is how we can help our employers understand and how our employers can start to learn to make things better. But how can we as women in the field make it easier for the next generation of women and minorities in our industries? I think that every single one of us um, should have someone that we're mentoring and it doesn't have Mm -hmm. to be another woman and it doesn't have to be uh, a person in your field. I had an amazing opportunity to work with a lady. Um, She was in our local community college and she was actually an IT person. I do not do well with computer things. (laughs) But I had an opportunity to show her a lot of different things and, and, Some of it was about being a woman in a male populated area, um, uh, career field, but some of it was just, hey, here's how LinkedIn works. Here's how this, or I think every single one of us should make it a priority that we're helping at least one person that's coming up in the next generation. Are you telling them to stand up for themselves, advocate for themselves? Are you telling them, how to negotiate their salaries. Um, we, I've gotten to a point in my career where I almost was taking it for granted that people were doing these things. And mm-hmm. I came to realize they don't. Uh, and I'm, I'm speaking a lot of women. Um, mm-hmm. We're not advocating for ourselves. We're not standing up for ourselves. We're not speaking up enough. So by having another voice that's telling these people, hey, you need to make sure you do this. It helps them 
be a little bit more sure of what they should be doing. Yeah, uh, and even having that, that model to, to, to see, you know, just yeah. to have someone modeling that behavior. I had somebody tell me that every, every point in your life, you should have a mentor and be a mentor. Mm. And I love that advice. That's so and good. I love that too. I just, I really think that it is up to us to help pave the way. And okay. So here's something I find kind of funny. Once again, generalizing <laughs> big asterisk. Um, <laughs> I often find like men like to say, well, this is how I had to do it. And I'm going to make it just as hard for you, which mm -hmm. just kind of makes me laugh. If you think of like, you know, your typical firefighters and stuff, like all the hazing. Yeah. We went through it. So therefore you've got to do it. Um, I find that women in our industry are, I had to go through this. So I want you to not have to go through this. Uh, yeah. And so we are like, don't settle for this. Don't go and work for this person. <laughs> don't, you know, we are generally trying to help make the road a little smoother for the, the next ones I feel. Nadine, where can our listeners find you? Uh, do you want them to go to your Toya Construction website or LinkedIn? All of them, all of the places. Okay. So um, I am very active on LinkedIn under Oya Construction LLC and also Nadine Carson, N-A-D-E-A-N Carson. Um, but I also have a webpage of oyaconstruction.com. I have started putting up YouTube videos as of last night. That's fun mm -hmm. and exciting. I don't like computers. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> So I am trying to get the word out. I'm trying to um, let people know that there's alternatives out there um, and what they can do to help make the operational world and the environmental world all coexistent and happy. Nadine Carson. <laughs> Nadine Carson, our favorite stormwater nerd and the founder of Oya Construction. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for joining us on the Hazard Girls podcast and for sharing all about your business and what you do. It's such an interesting niche. And of course, you know, your expertise and, and just your journey with our listeners. I am so honored to be a part of your podcast. Like I love listening to it every week and I find so much inspiration um, from all of your guests. So the fact that you have asked me, I really and truly am honored and I thank you for the opportunity. We are thrilled to have you, Nadine. Thank you so much. You have been listening to the Hazard Girls podcast on Jacket Media, sponsored by Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company. That's junojonesshoes.com. And you can go there to learn about our steel toe boots and to join the Hazard Girls community. I'm your host, Emily Salaby. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.